Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage, a Greg Gregory podcast. I am your host, Greg Gregory, and we're excited to have with us today a gentleman that I've had the privilege to know now for about seven to 10 years. And uh, over the years, Roy and I have developed a very good friendship. Uh, we've learned a lot from each other, and he is an amazing storyteller. You're definitely in for a treat uh, for the next 45 minutes or so on the podcast. This is a podcast, of course, where we focus in on teamwork, leadership, and culture, or what I refer to as the TLC of business. And couldn't we all use a little TLC right now? This year has been a crazy year, and it's just going to keep getting crazier for the uh, foreseeable future. So let's talk to Roy a little bit and find out some things, but to give you a little background on Mr. Roy Atkinson, he's one of the most recognized thought leaders in IT and service management, as well as customer experience. He is a prolific writer, speaker, and virtual presenter, as well as a podcaster and an industry analyst. His expertise has been featured by The Economist, BizTech Magazine, Social Media Today, Computer World, Oracle Ex Customer Experience, SAP Business Innovation, and others. He was described on CIO Insight as a model of the future digital leader and by Nextiva as one of the top 50 customer service experts of the decade, 2010 to 2020. He also was HDI's 2019 Achievement Award on Lifetime Achievement Award honoree. He holds a master's in advanced management strategy from Tulane University's Freeman School of Business. Don't forget you can follow him on Twitter at Roy Atkinson. Welcome, Roy, to the Teamwork Advantage. Thank you for joining us today. Great to be here, Greg. Thanks for asking. We're excited to have you here. And I've known, like I said, we've known each other now for about eight or 10 years. And you've been a great inspiration to me over the years. And I just enjoy sitting down, uh, talking to you with uh, your stories and all. But I'd like you to share with us a little bit about who you are, where you came from, um, where you grew up, how you got started. And What's brought you to where you are today as the CEO of uh, Clifton Butterfield? So you ask where I came from. I came from Jersey. <laughs> you got a problem with that? <laughs> People make fun of New Jersey, but New Jersey has its high points and low points, I might add. But I, yeah, I grew up in, in uh, New Jersey, just outside of New York City. I used to be able to walk across the George Washington Bridge into Manhattan from the house I grew up in, very close by the, the George Washington Bridge. And then uh, migrated to other parts of the world. Uh, kept moving north for a while, up to Albany, New York. And then I moved out to Rochester, New York. I lived in Connecticut for a little while and wound up in Maine for about 25 years. And then uh, now I'm in South Carolina. Thank you very much. Bless your heart for asking. <laughs> and uh, But uh, also had a lot of uh, different jobs and careers, putting myself through through uh, college and 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 then making my way in the world. So, at, where do you want to start? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. Uh, let's to talk it. a little bit about because you you didn't get into IT uh, right away. I mean, information technology was not a thing for a lot of us. You know, I can remember my first IT class basically 
um, they say computers never make mistakes, only programmers do. And that was when we were still using the old computer punch cards. So take us back. What's got you to where you are business-wise today? I, I was a geek as a kid. Uh, I, we started studying binary math when I was in sixth grade or seventh grade, something like that. And, and one of the things that I really disliked about studying binary math was that we had to translate numbers from decimal to binary, binary to decimal, decimal to binary. We did that for, you know, like, it seemed like all day long, we'd be changing that back and forth. <clears throat> Being basically lazy, I said, I don't want to, I don't like doing this. And so speaking of punch cards, that was how computers were operated at the time. And so uh, uh, my friend Tom Pichetta and I invented a little gizmo that would translate decimal to binary, binary to decimal based on punch cards. <clears throat> and uh, it made life a lot easier for me, but I didn't pursue that. I had other fish to fry. I was very interested in the world of academia. I uh, was a serious student of both English literature and philosophy, double majored in both uh, through college for way too many years, and then went off into the world of music. And I spent about 20 years in the world of music uh, as a performer, producer, songwriter. I didn't, so I didn't go professional in IT until later on, uh, and uh, then I decided I was going to make the switch from music, <clears throat> excuse me, to IT, and I did, and uh, pursued that as a career, and it's been great. If I remember correctly, we had a conversation some years ago, and I asked you, what instruments do you play? And I think you responded with something like, if it has strings, you can play it. Is that what it was? I think I said everything. Uh, 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 yeah, I probably said something about if it has strings, I can play it. Uh, or, or everything that you don't have to blow into, because I don't do wind instruments, I never mm -hmm. have. So no clarinet, no sax, no trombones, but uh, banjo, guitar, bass, uh, and then keyboards. Harpsichord. Uh, harpsichord, yes. Uh, <laughs> electronic keyboards, of course. And also actually the, the one area that I was really trained in was percussion. And, and I was a trained percussionist, so. Fascinating. So what was your first IT job? I got a job with a, a small think tank, international think tank, uh, called the Institute for Global Ethics. Uh, and I had set my sights on when I decided to move out of music into IT, I set my sights on getting an IT job and, and, and my spouse and I decided that we wanted to live on the coast of Maine. Uh, in, Institute for Global Ethics was located in Camden, Maine at the time. And uh, I applied for a job there and I convinced them that I had the chops to do it. Um, along the way in the music industry, by the way, I had been teaching my fellow musicians who knew nothing about computers at the time, how to maintain a database, how to send out a newsletter, do word processing, all that kind of stuff. So I went into the Institute for Global Ethics, which was very antiquated uh, technically at the time and uh, transformed them from that antiquated way of doing things with the computer systems that they had into a fully modern internet connected 24 seven institute by the time I left. Uh, that was over a three year period. Uh, and it was a great place to work, got to meet some really good people and uh, got a great education in the world of ethics, which I also studied in college. So it was, it was pretty neat. 
Okay. And at some point along the line, you did a lot of research too. Now, was that tied into the IT? Uh, actually, the, the, well, the research on the IT industry uh, started with when I went to work for HDI. I became an HDI member. And let's clarify HDI. Tell us a little bit about who they are real quickly. Okay. HDI is a, a part of Informa, which is a large uh, multinational corporation. Uh, HDI uh, was founded back in 1989. And it's basic, basically an association, a place for uh, people who are in the IT support industry and technical support industry to come together. Mm -hmm. They put on conferences every year. Uh, there's a local chapter system out there people can join and so forth. So it's a, it's a peer association within the IT uh, and service management support folks. World. Right. Uh, We've had and, a few and, other guests on here from the IT world that you, of course, know. So uh, I just want to make sure we clarify who they are for uh, any new listeners. Sure. So I became a member of HDI first because I was working at that time. I got hired by the Jackson Laboratory, which is a large genetics research laboratory, and uh, worked with some very serious scientists there. And and uh, but it's it's an isolated place, and I didn't have a lot of ways to get information, share information locally. Uh, the closest folks who were really in serious IT were in Boston, which is a five hour drive from the Jackson laboratory. So uh, I got interested in HDI and my boss encouraged me to join, which I did. And so I became part of that information sharing community, that peer community and uh, uh, worked internally with the chapters as a member of HDI. And then they hired me in, in uh, 2010 uh, to come on board and do a lot of writing and research for them. So I did research on the IT industry itself, the support industry, trends, frameworks, all of that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And also uh, did a lot of outside engagement with writing for different institutions and so forth. Let me ask you this. You said a key word just a moment ago, information sharing. Let me ask you, how important is it for organizations? And we'll kind of get into more depth with this in a minute, but how important is it for organizations to share the information that they have uh, in today's world? It's hugely important. Uh, internally, the, the amount of impact that knowledge management has on organizations is astounding if they do it right. And uh, one of the things I did when I was at HDI is I got myself very well educated on knowledge-centered service. It used to be called knowledge-centered support, knowledge-centered service, KCS, mm -hmm. which uh, is a tremendous knowledge management methodology. And it's just fabulous. And I will share the knowledge with you that I predict that a train will go by momentarily. See, it's like Karnak on John, the old Johnny Carson show. Uh -huh. uh, but but knowledge management is gives organizations a tremendous advantage. And these days when high tech, having advanced technologies is pretty much table stakes, no matter what kind of business you have, having the, the appropriate technologies at, at a high level is table stakes. To get into the game, you've got to be able to play it at, at, at a good level. However, which what every organization has that's different from other organizations is the people inside of it, right? The teams that they have, uh, 
And the knowledge that gets shared within that organization is extraordinarily important. That becomes your brand differentiator. The way that you do things becomes your brand differentiator, which ties into all the other things that I talk about when I talk about employee experience and customer experience. Uh, but it's a great question, Greg. Knowledge sharing is just intensely amazing. And uh, let's look at it this way too. Even knowledge sharing with the world of competition can be an advantage for you. Uh, if you allow other organizations to leverage the technology that you've developed or something else that you know that, that you've developed and you can trademark that, you can patent that, you can, so it becomes tangibly valuable to you, mm -hmm. but also you develop a community of organizations that have like-minded goals. It's, it's fascinating stuff. I love knowledge management. And that's, that's so important because it's one of the key elements that I focus in on, of course, from teamwork is about sharing of knowledge and sharing of information because it applies to the old uh, John Kennedy quote of a rising tide raises all ships. The more we share that information, the more we all get a little bit better. Now, recently you became the CEO though of uh, Clifton Butterfield LLC. Tell us uh, about what Clifton Butterfield is about and what you're doing. So Clifton Butterfield basically concentrates on four areas. Uh, it's customer experience, which as we know is tremendously important. Uh, employee experience, which people are starting to recognize as being equally or more important than customer experience and certainly contributing to customer experience. Then there's having the appropriate technology and appropriate is an important word to me in that regard. And underlying the whole focus of the organization, there's got to be a great customer service focus. So at its basic level, customer service, customer experience, employee experience, and the appropriate technology that enables you to do the best work at, in all of those areas. Mm -hmm. So that's where we focus. We do some business advisory work. We uh, work with organizations that are looking for, let's say, how do we measure employee experience? How, what, do we can, what can we learn from that? How can it help us? We try to help them understand how it can get you down the road to more success. Okay. Let's talk for a moment for somebody who does not have direct customer uh, interaction. Okay. So there's a lot of people there who says, I don't deal with customers. Why should I worry about what customer experience is all about? Well, I will tell you a story from my background. Uh, I was working in an IT organization that had developers uh, working in various parts of the organization. And I was, I happened to be walking down the hall right after a CIO had announced, and I had a little bit of a hand in this, that everybody in the IT group was going to go through a customer service training program. And oh, I'm what, sure the moans were enormous. Oh, yes, they were. And one of the developers came out of her office and looked at me and said, why do we have to go through this customer service thing? I don't have any customers. And, and I just looked at her and I said, didn't you work on the blah, blah database that the service desk uses to do blah, blah, blah? And she goes, yeah. And I said, well, I guess then. I, meaning the, the service desk, I'm your customer, right? She goes, oh, I guess I didn't think of it that way. I said, aha. <laughs> so, 
And, and that, by the way, was a, a terrific course. It was done by uh, an organization called Willett and Associates and, and it, it specifically customer service training that was specifically developed for IT organizations. It was a great, great course. Right. Uh, that's so that's so powerful because in one way or another, one of the things I always ask people in a, in a workshop is how many are in sales? And I love asking that when I'm in, say, uh, a government or a quasi-government organization. Of course, no hands or maybe one hand might go up. Yet everybody's in sales. The same way that everybody is in some form of customer service, whether we're serving an external customer or an internal customer across the lines. And even if we're serving internal customers, eventually something is going to the external side. I love what Jan Carlson says. Jan Carlson, if you don't know that name, he's the guy that turned around Scandinavian Airlines. They were at the bottom of the barrel. And within two years, he had put them at the top rating for customer service and top prof profitability. It was just an incredible turnaround story. And Carlson famously said, if you're not serving the customer, you'd better be serving someone who is, meaning that that mm. internal support work has to happen before the customer gets what they need. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that's absolutely key. So Clifton Butterfield's focusing in there. What else is Clifton Butterfield focused on? Well, uh, as I said, the appropriate technology, I think a lot of times organizations spend way too much money for programs that they hear about. You know, the old story in IT is the CIO goes to a conference and the CIO is flying back on the plane and looking at some some information online or a magazine or something. And next thing you know, we're going to buy, we're going to spend $400,000 to put this program in place. It's going to fix everything. And everybody kind of rolls their eyes and says, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. He's been to the conference. Great. Um, and And of course, half the time it doesn't work. It doesn't work as expected or it's underutilized. So one of the things we try to do is to get people to really think about how the technology can enable what they're already doing, or if they need to change their processes, which is a whole topic in and of itself revolving around digital transformation. If they need to change their processes, how they're going to do that and how the right technology will enable them to do it better. Okay. That's really the key. And they also, you know, eight times out of 10, they're not getting maximum value out of the technology that they already have. So they need to sit down and think about what they can do with the technology they already have before investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in something else. Would you say that appropriate technology then is as applicable outside of the IT world as it is inside of the IT world? Absolutely. Uh, we're, I just did a talk at Interop, uh, Interop Digital last month, and, and it was uh, about IT excellence and digital transformation. And the first question I posed to the audience was, IT, is it a department or is it a capability? And these days, it's much more a capability. There are IT people in HR. There are IT people in sales. There are IT people in everywhere. There are people who are well-versed in the technologies that they use every day, who provide support to the people around them. You know, hey, Bob, how do you do that? So there's all of those things going on. The technology is throughout the organization. And sometimes you have to put fires out. And apparently right now, that's the case. There goes the fire truck. <laughs> 
It's just one of those mornings. I didn't know if it was your end or my end with the fire trucks there. there, They went right by. But uh, in any event, technology is so embedded in the way that businesses are done. Some people have said, uh, actually, a lot of people have said every business is a technology business. I don't agree with that. But every business depends on the technology that they use. Right. And whether it's your company has a website or whether it's, you know, ingrained in the way that you do business, technology is incredibly important now, especially this year. Uh, and uh, people have to think about how they use it and how they can best use it. Okay. And that's key. And that's, that's where I want to look at there is we've got folks that listen on this podcast from all genres. Uh, from the CEOs all the way to the front line, from the trades worker all the way up to the C-suite and everywhere in between, whether it's uh, customer service-based, IT-based, service-based. And so technology is impacting. It's got its, excuse the expression here, it's got its tentacles in every one of our lives in some way. And there are some companies that tend to, if I'm correct with what I understand you saying, is there are some companies that are just happen to be buying the latest and the greatest because it sounds great and they don't necessarily need that. Is that right? Yes, absolutely true. Uh, they jump on bandwagons. A lot of organizations tend to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, everybody goes around for now, everybody's been talking about digital transformation and there's an awful lot of organizations that really don't understand what that means. Uh, so it, 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 often is looking for the silver bullet that's going to fix everything. And uh, generally speaking, I would say nothing does that, but there are people moves that you can make. And now we get into your territory, Greg. Mm -hmm. And it, it is transformation that takes place in the culture of the organization, in the way that things are done, in the way, for example, that knowledge is shared instead of saying, I know this, I'm protecting my job by guarding this knowledge sharing the knowledge uh and you know knowledge doesn't decrease because you share it it increases for everyone it's the rising right. tide metaphor right and i also use the expression knowledge is not power without application you know we have to take what knowledge we have and we have to apply it just having it does not does no one any good and and that's that's something else that i think organizations have trouble with uh it's applying what they know for example every month you know, coming from the service desk and, and service management background, uh, I would say that every month the, the metrics go up to the, the next level of management and maybe sometimes up a, a couple of levels. What happens because of that? What happens because the volume at the service desk went down last month mm -hmm. or because first contact resolution went up last month? What happens? If nothing happens, then what's the point of having that data? If you have the knowledge and you don't do anything with it, why have it in the first place? So action is really important with organizations for sure. Okay. So now you've taken this along through the Clifton Butterfield group. You're now also working and speaking in an array of topics like this. Uh, Roy Atkins personally. Um, tell us a little bit about what got you into wanting to do that. Well, uh, let, let's go all the way back and, uh, and, I, I think I gave my first performance at the age of five or six uh, when I sat in front of a school assembly and, and played something on the piano uh, that I had taught myself. Uh, I, I have always, I've, let's put it this way, I've never feared being in front of people. 
I've always enjoyed it. I feel very much at home on stage. <clears throat> I've been on stage in front of thousands of people, both in music performance and speaking. Uh, I have absolutely no fear of it uh, other than that. Do I really know what I'm talking about? That's the, that's the fear. And I think <laughs> when you speak on technical topics and business topics, sometimes you're, you know, you're like, okay, somebody out there knows way more than I do, but that's okay. Um, but I, 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 I found the opportunity to do that. And one of the reasons I started speaking, frankly, was complete self-interest which was I found that I could get free admission to conferences by speaking at them. And there were conferences I wanted to go to. And so I applied to be a speaker at those conferences and I got some conference speaking spots and, and let's take it from there. Yeah. Okay. Now, one of the areas you speak on is um, something that's a little bit uh, for some of us anyway, a bit of a sci-fi reach and that's artificial intelligence. Let's talk. I take it you've got an interest in AI a little bit. And where do you see that? Where is it today? Let's be realistic. Where is it today? And where do you see it going? For example, um, I uh, did a uh, training program last year in Buffalo, New York, and I checked into a hotel. And they told me, if you need anything, just let us know. And um, I think his name was James. I will bring it up to you. I said, awesome. I'd love that. So, um, there was something I got downstairs that I said I needed. They said, no problem. James will be up. Okay. No problem. I'm sitting there at my desk. The phone rings said, James is at your front door. I was like, why doesn't James knock? I went to the front door. There's James, a little R2D2 size robot bringing me whatever I'd asked for. I think it was a couple bottles of water. So I don't know what it was. And I picked it up. They, the screen said, do you want anything else? And I had a screen. I just tapped no. Or I said no, and he turned around and took off back down the hall. So that's that's real. That's where we are now. Where else are we seeing AI? And where else do you see it going? And do we have the fear that AI will take over the world like everybody thinks? I was going to go to that first, but I'm going to I'm going to save that one until last. Um, AI is. I, I think a lot of it's misunderstood. And part of the reason is that we've been calling it AI and we have to call it AI. There's, there's this thing, I call it the Google effect. And I know that there's, there's a book or, or some information called the Google effect. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say the Google effect is that we all live and die by search engine optimization. And so you have to talk about things in the language that's already being talked about. Otherwise, your SEO goes down, right? You have to be found by the search engines in one way or another. So people started calling it artificial intelligence, and that's what we call it. And some people don't like that. And I say, cool, tough. <laughs> that's what we call it. Um, machine learning is, an, is perhaps a better way to express it, but people understand that less, I think, or, or grabs them less. Um, we're talking about programs, software programs that are running on, on machines and computers, the whole new world uh, that can improve itself, that understands things in some way and can improve. So yesterday, your computer didn't know that you, you had a, a, a special way to spell work. You call it W-E-R-K for it's because part of your brand or something. Today it knows. 
right? When it goes to autocorrect, it, it, you see it on your phone. Your phone learns how to improve. That capability has been around for a long time. I used to have a Newton, an Apple Newton, which was a rather large personal information device. It was amazingly far ahead of its time, but I used to write on it. And uh, that was part of its capability is that would learn your handwriting. And it got better and better and better over time. I used to take notes and meetings on it. So machine learning is incredibly important. The places that we we're starting to see this, we see it in some chatbots. Not every chatbot is run with machine learning or artificial intelligence. A lot of them are just run off keywords. They'll go and get, they'll listen to the keywords or watch the keywords that you type and they'll go and get information and bring it back to you like your robot did, right? It was, it was, it was given instruction to take the water or whatever it was up to your room, got there, fine. And had a GPS built into it to know exactly where my room was. Yes, exactly so. Uh, but but we're, we're using it in, in different ways too. Take, for example, what I was talking about a little while ago, knowledge management. There are knowledge management programs out there now that can understand what you're doing. So if I'm in a database application and I have a question, there's a, there might be a little chat bubble at the bottom or a button I can push for assistance. It knows exactly where I am and it can answer questions or guide me to a knowledge management article or a video or, or whatever to assist me in exactly what I'm doing. So it understands the context. Now, every time it helps somebody in the context, it gets better at doing that. And so it starts to know what you do as opposed to the person that's sitting in the next cubicle. And that plays back into personalization, which is a hugely important piece mm -hmm. of digital transformation. So there's a ton of it involved. And, and now to get back to your, the other part of your question, which is, is AI going to take over the world? That possibility exists. I don't know of anybody who has looked at this stuff that doesn't think so. And I, I, I don't know, you know, where the control lines are. It's, there's some scary stuff going on. And do we, it's a matter of trust. Do we trust the AI uh, to, to do what we tell it to do? And are we programming it correctly? There's a great line in a song by Donald Fagan, uh, which goes back to uh, the IGY, the IGY line. And, and it's a trust machines to make big decisions is the line that Donald Fagan wrote about that. And it, it is still a question. Do we trust machines to make big decisions? And that, that's, that's a tough thing, you know, and that's where we've got to look at. Speaking of tough decisions, 2020 has been a tough year, without a doubt. Um, so many crazy things have happened this year. And yet, there are some people who are coming out of it in a very upbeat, more energized, different ways. It's, it's about how we've pivoted and how we've done things. This podcast is a direct result of that. You and I chatted about this probably back in March uh, before we even came up with the whole concept about doing the teamwork advantage. Um, so this, this is a direct result. But obviously in IT, I, I, there's so many companies I hear of today they're working from remotely from home and they're having to work in there. So now we've got teams that are remote trying to work and they're getting frustrated with information technology and things, but yet there are opportunities that are out there. What do you want, what opportunities do you see coming out of this whole crazy 
year of 2020? Well, first, there's a huge opportunity to, to and, and, and my, and my mug illustrates it. It's a, uh, on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. Uh, By the way, let's so, just clarify some things here for some folks. If you're listening to this podcast on your phone or anything of that nature, we are going to be posting all of our episodes um, on a YouTube site. You can go to our websites. We'll have you more information. You can get notices about all of that. So you'll be able to see the background, be able to see Roy holding his mug up at that point, uh, as well as several of our other folks have been using some visuals. So let's make sure we, uh, I want to remind folks about that. I'm sorry, Roy, go ahead. People are going to see me. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, so th those challenges are enormous. Uh, some of them are, again, going back to the fact that, you know, that there are challenges with the technology. Yes. Uh, for example, people started adopting Zoom early on to use uh, for conferencing and meetings. And it really wasn't built for the volume that started to develop very rapidly when people started working from home. And there were security issues and there were other issues that Zoom had to resolve. And they've worked very hard to improve the product rapidly. I mean, think about how fast this stuff happened. So that's oh, one yeah. side of it. The technology that we're using to connect with each other has become increasingly important. But there's more to it than that, too. And that's things like the fundamental human things that underlie working from home. Let's look at what happened in let's say March, first week of March, second week of March, when organizations, I talked to one healthcare organization a while ago, and they sent 500 people home with new laptops. They had to obtain those laptops, image them, put the programs on them that people needed, get them to the people and send them home in a week. Uh, the support stories, the, the technical support stories that came out of that transition are enormous. Think about it. People had, who had never worked from home didn't know what a VPN connection was. Uh, virtual private network, for those of you who don't know what VPN means, uh, had never used some of the, the security programs that they had to have running, didn't, weren't familiar with a lot of the techni technology that they were now using to work every day. The support stories are enormously impressive. Uh, those support folks are total heroes. I mean, they've always been heroes, but this year they've been outstanding. But at the same time, organizations uh, were expecting them in, in contact centers and all of those support areas in the company to make that transition to working from home. And, and a lot of those people aren't very highly paid, especially the contact center side of the house, uh, and may not have appropriate space to work in maybe you know didn't have any privacy from people being able to look over their shoulder and see what should be confidential information on their screens there are a lot of human issues people who live by themselves uh it, it's been mm -hmm. a tough time to be isolated so yeah. it, it's been a phenomenal year but the opportunities also are terrific for companies that are developing ways for people to do better business i'll take one quick example greg um, a lot of big companies have a way to order ahead and then pick stuff up at the curbside. Tried it with one big organization that I won't name because they failed so incredibly miserably in doing it. A little local grocery store about eight miles from where I live that had, didn't even have a website when this all started. They put up a website, they tied it into their inventory system, 
and they allowed people to order things from them online. You could check and see what they had, order it, set an appointment, drive over, and they would bring it out to your car. And they did it successfully for every time that they did it, as opposed to this big national corporation with lots of money in its back pocket uh, that failed miserably because they paid attention to the human side of it. What, what do people need? Let's deliver that. That's the customer experience, right? Mm -hmm. And that kind of ties us into the next question. And that is customer experience today. And I've noticed, and if uh, the listeners have noticed, we're using the word customer experience as opposed to customer service, because the service is supposed to be there, but it's the overall experience that the customer has. And uh, I did a uh, training series couple, several years ago and we did a wall of fame and wall of shame concept on uh, who, where they had great service, where they had horrible service. And I'll, I'll give a shout out here to Chick-fil-A. They hit the uh, wall of fame more than any other organization because they paid attention to the customer experience. They paid attention to the people part of things. Today with technology and things that are changing so rapidly, why is customer experience more important than ever? I think because technology, in addition to being tremendously powerful, and as we talked about before, permeating organizations throughout everything that they do, it's also table stakes, right? Every company has the ability. You want something, you can, if you've got a credit card with more than a couple hundred bucks of credit line on it, you can go and, and buy a piece of, you know, Amazon Web Services and spin up a, a server and do whatever it is you needed to do. Find a friend who can write a mobile app. Uh, everybody can do technology. It is the people who understand how that affects the people that they're going to sell things to or who are going to consume their services. That is, that, that is the trademark of success. And uh, the customer experience then becomes the differentiator for organizations. You can have, you can buy a mug from any place. Uh, you can get a hotel room any place. I'll tell you, here's a, here's a great story and it's both customer service and customer experience related. A friend of mine was uh, involved in putting on a, a large, a fairly large event in London, England. And she was trying to pick the hotel in which this was going to happen. And there were two hotels that were the, the, the last ones left standing. She was trying to decide between these two particular venues. They were almost dead even in every aspect, capacity, the amenities involved, the locations were convenient. All of that stuff was equal. When she went back for her last visits to each of those hotels, one of them offered her a cup of coffee. That 50 cent cost cup of coffee got that hotel a multi-thousand dollar event because they provided a better experience to her while she was there having the meeting. Oh, yes, I will have a cup of coffee. Thank you very much. So it's that interaction between us, the personalization that we do, and the technology can enable that personalization. If you're in somebody's database and they know that you've bought X, Y, and Z, uh, they should be able to know you when you call, understand what you've bought in the past, look, mm -hmm. know what you were looking for. 
So let's take this, for example, of what I was talking about before, how organizations often don't use appropriate technology. How many times have you gone to a website recently and you had a pop-up that said, asking you to accept cookies? Every yeah. time, right? Every yeah. single time. So everybody should be asking themselves why the first cookie you accept should not be the cookie that says you accepted cookies. And therefore, if you've accepted that cookie, from that point on, you never get that pop-up again unless you're on a different device. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Technically, mm -hmm. it makes sense to me. I know what a cookie is, right? Mm -hmm. But it, it just, it, it's, it's mind-boggling to me how companies really don't do a good job of providing a great customer experience. And yeah. it, 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 it has a lot to do with depending on the wrong technology or not optimizing the technology. That not optimizing have. their existing technology. Place I call and order a pizza from from time to time. My number comes up. Uh, they see it on the screen. It pops right in there. Uh, they don't. They don't recognize my name right away because they answer the phone. But the number then pops up, and they say you're going to have your regular order of X, Y, and Z. They've already got my previous orders right there, and they're ready to go. Got it. Fifteen minutes. Whatever. Done. That's that's using technology the right way for the customer experience, and their teams are all working together that way. Do you think that? technology has helped teams or stagnated teams in the last 10 months or so? I think it depends on, on the culture of the organization. Now, okay. culture becomes a much more complicated animal when you're in work from home or work remotely situations like right. most of us are in now. But uh, I think that if the right technology exists and people use it, properly. And again, that goes down to the human factor. Did you train them how to use it? Did you share the culture that says you, you should do this and here's why? Mm -hmm. um, for how many times have you been on a, on, on a, I see this all the time on video meetings where people don't turn on the cameras. Okay. Guess what? It's pointless to be on a video meeting if you're not turning on your camera. Right now, uh, if, if people are walking around uh, without clothing in the background, that's one thing, but you know, you've got to pay attention to that. And for goodness sake, put up a virtual background or put a shower curtain behind you, do something. If that has a possibility of happening. Right. Well, um, that, and then there's also the one that I've had recently is, you know, the, uh, the added video time provides a lag and then there there's a lag time in there on certain things. So. Yes, uh, absolutely. And, is the technology perfect? No. Do people forget to unmute themselves? Does the video every once in a while, does it, does it shudder or, you know, does... yes, that happens. But, uh, you know, we, we are, I think our expectations to a great degree have changed during this because I think we expected a lot of it to be perfect. And now we don't, it's okay for people to, forget to take themselves off mute as long as they don't keep talking for five minutes while they're on mute. Um, while people are yelling, you're on mute. Uh, I call them mutants, by the way, that's <laughs> the, pro the proper term. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think we've learned a lot about how to use the technology. It's just a kit and always be better. Yeah, there's no doubt. And it's not only can it always be better, it is always getting better. 
and it is constantly improving down the line with everything that we do. And that's fascinating. Uh, right, we've been on here a long time this morning, uh, a longer time than we normally uh, do for a uh, teamwork advantage podcast. And I think it's because your information is so valuable and helpful. I just want to do a quick recap here. Uh, your area in focusing in is the customer experience as well as the employee experience and how they're tied together today, amazingly. And then it's making sure we've got the appropriate technology in place for what we're doing. And then the customer service focus. Those are the critical elements. And all of that ties into the right culture and the right teamwork. And of course, you got to have the right leadership to be able to do all of that. And I think that's a key element. Have I wrapped it up tightly there for you? You, you hit it right on the head, Mr. Gregory. Thank you. Uh, that's exactly right. And uh, that's where our worlds tie in, right? I can mm -hmm. talk about the technology and all of that side of it. Mm -hmm. Then it comes down to the people, the teamwork, and the leadership. Right. And that's the power part, folks. Uh, it's been a privilege to have you with us, Roy. Um, I know you and I'll be talking again from time to time. You can also find him, uh, Roy, at um, Roy at CliftonButterfield.com. And uh, of course, CliftonButterfield.com is his website. You're welcome to find him there. And of course, on Twitter, at Roy Atkinson. That's Atkinson, by the way. It's been a privilege to have you here. And we're excited to uh, learn more about things as they go along. For the rest of us here, next week, we'll have another guest on the Teamwork Advantage, where we focus in on teamwork, leadership, and culture, or the TLC of business. As I always like to say, do not have a good day, because having a good day is only being average. Until next time, make sure you make it an awesome day. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.